0: You are a leader, whether you realise it or not. In the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine, Andy Peck gives lessons from the life of Christ on leading from wherever you are. Plus, the world's best-known Bible scholar, M.T. Wright, reveals the Apostle Paul you never knew. Tim and Rachel Hughes share their story of leading worship and an exciting new church plant in Birmingham. And as Hamilton makes its West End debut, find out how God shows up in the musical Everyone Wants to See. Ask for a free copy of the magazine at premierchristianity.com slash freesample. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio.
1: Welcome to The Profile on Premier Christian Radio with me, Ruth Jackson. The show is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity Magazine. For a free copy of the magazine, visit premierchristianity.com slash freesample. I'm joined today by Chip Kendall, who's a musician and part of the creative team at Audacious Church Manchester.
2: Yes, and it's the hardest working woman in Christendom, (laughs) Ruth Jackson.
1: Chip, you have got such an interesting background from growing up in Israel to being in a really popular Christian band to now working with children up and down the country. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you've ended up doing what you're doing?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, um, I was born in Florida, which is why I still have an American accent. And uh, when I was 12 years old, my family moved by faith to the Holy Land. We moved to Jerusalem. I lived there for all of my teenage years. Uh, My parents worked with a really great organization called the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. Sounds very prestigious. And uh, we did that for a number of years. My parents still live out there, but when I was 19, I went to Bible College in California, which is where I met my wife, who is from England. And uh, we got married, and I've been in England ever since. Um, was in a band called the band with no name for a number of years and now i'm in the chip kendall band i tell people i went from the band with no name to the band with my name (laughs) and uh i'm on staff at audacious Uh, i've been doing a lot of work as well with the big church day out and we've got this really great family praise party touring around the country right now called um chip kendall and the praise ship orbitron and uh, as well as speaking tours as well i'm doing a, a 119 tour right now talking about the bible and helping young people to engage with the Bible. So there's a lot of stuff going on right now, but I would say a lot of that was formed in those early days growing up in Israel. You know, that's where I started writing songs. My parents really helped me to craft that and to hone that gifting and and really where I fell in love with the Bible during my time in Israel. I didn't have many friends to begin with. This is where you can start playing violin music in the background. (laughs) But at the same time, that was really good because it helped me to really focus on what was going on around me. And, you know, I had Friends who had read the whole Bible, and I was like, "Oh, you know," I I ended up reading the whole Bible by the time I was 16, and I, I didn't think that was a big deal but it's because I'd really cultivated a passion for God's word and, and even now I mean literally decades later I'm just so thankful that God arranged things for me to have that as part of my upbringing because for me that's just really everything is stemmed from that that passion for God's word and that love for music you know has just really helped to make me who I am.
1: So tell us a bit more about that time in Israel because that's not a normal place for someone from Florida to grow up is it so I guess there must have been huge cultural <laughs> differences.
2: Yeah really big culture difference. in, in In a lot of ways, having spent a lot of time in England now, I can see that actually Israel is quite European uh, compared to America. You know, and it was a bit of a culture shock. But at the same time, I think it was the, the kind of thing that I needed knowing now that God has really called me to the nations. You know, if I would have just stayed in Florida the whole time, I wouldn't have had the same perspective that I do now. And, uh, it's the same for my kids. You know, my kids have British accents. It, I've literally driven my kids to tears sometimes because I have no idea what they're saying to me. <laughs> and it, you know, it's hard enough when kids are first learning how to talk and they're kind of like mumbling a little bit. But then when you add an accent into the mix, oh my goodness, it is bad news. Uh, uh, but what I've learned is, is that it's helped me to understand people. And I think anything that God's got from me is always going to involve people, whether that's discipling people or whether that's communicating to people or whether that's understanding people and hearing their heart. For me, that's been really, really helpful. I, I feel almost like I've, I've had the opportunity to use both sides of my brain in that sense, you know, in terms of, of, of international ministry.
1: You mentioned the importance of Israel in helping you to read the whole Bible and I guess get a sense of what it was like, Living in Jesus' time. Was there anything else that was particularly formative about those years in Israel?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember sitting down at the keyboard. I was about 12 years old. We only just moved there, and uh, my dad played the piano. He was a worship pastor of a really big church in Florida, and so I, I'd seen him doing all that, but I sat down at a keyboard, and I wrote my first song. It was just a really simple chorus that said, you know, I, I love you, Lord. It's not it's not the I love you, Lord, that we all know, but <laughs> it, that would be amazing if I'd written that one. I think <laughs> I would have a mansion, but, but, you know, it was called I Love You, Lord, and After I finished writing that song, I just stopped and I bowed my head and I prayed and I said, God, I thank you. I think this is the beginning of a gift that you're giving me. And I said, I promise to use this gift all my days for you. And it it was a prayer that I can still remember now, ages and ages later, because it made a big impact. And God really responded to that prayer. You know, he said, oh, here's somebody that I can use. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord range about the earth, seeking someone whose heart is fully after him. And I think he found that in me in that moment where I just kind of gave that gift right away to God. And so that that really helped me to formulate a lot of what I do now in terms of songwriting and letting God breathe through me. Um, I wrote a lot of just really horrible songs. (laughs) When I listen (laughs) listen back to, you know, the, the heart behind it, it was right, but they're not great songs. But that's because I was a kid, you know, and, and uh, made my first album by the time I was 16, 17. And so God lined stuff up for me to be able to do that. But at the same time, it, it's helped me to hone that and, and that it's a skill that I can now pass on easier because of the way that he did it and me and so i whenever i want to work with with songwriters i make sure that we start off on the right foot um you know you can have a really really great gifting in terms of of the skill itself of songwriting but if you haven't got the heart behind it then you really need to to learn to grow that so they go hand in hand and i really learned that during my time in israel as well
1: and one of the ways that you hugely used your gift was with the band with no name do you want to tell us a little bit about how you ended up doing that and then how you felt called away from that into what you're doing now.
2: So uh, when we moved to England, uh, the really big band at the time was a band called the Worldwide Message Tribe. And I'd even heard of them when I was out in Florida uh, and when I was in California, definitely. And so I knew that they were kind of a big deal. And we met a friend of ours, who was English, obviously, living in England, and she you know, had been around Manchester. She's like, I can put you in touch with the Worldwide Message Tribe if you want. And we were like, what? So my wife and I both, you know, we put in the audition video, and, and uh, amazingly, we found ourselves in front of Andy Hawthorne, you know, the guy who mm. was really the, the brains behind it. And um, he was like, well, you know, we kind of like you. We think maybe you might be right for the Worldwide Message Tribe. We're like, what? And then that all changed. I don't know if you remember, but the Worldwide Message Tribe became the tribe. Uh, and around that same time they were it was up in the air whether or not they were going to carry on doing what they were doing because there was this other organization starting up called the Innervation Trust and that was the producer from the tribe and the, the manager from. the tribe. and so they were like "Well, we're starting a band that we want you to be in that's what became the band with no name uh, and we're just really thankful when I say we I mean me and my wife both because looking back that was a really great opportunity for us to do mission together here in the UK uh, that really was what came first is the fact that it was a mini- industry with a mission. But secondly to, to just meet some of the best producers and the, the people who are the movers and the shakers in terms of music, you know, over here. And I ended up having my own radio show for a long time called The Show with No Name. And <laughs> so you know, it, it opened up a lot of doors. I was a youth presenter on God T V so it, it was a really, really big deal for us. And we're just thankful for that time of our lives.
1: And you obviously did that for, for a long time. How many years was it that the band with No Name was touring around schools and the country?
2: Well, the band was going for nine years. I was the only person that was in it from the beginning to the end. We had a, a different, you know, rolling lineup. Uh, every couple of years, but um, but we, we really stuck it out. My wife was the road manager, she's a dancer in the band as well, and uh, we just learned so much along the way while we did that, and the people that we got to meet, you know, the lifelong relationships that you still hang on to, including Loretta over there at Premier, I must add. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the people that you get to meet and the lessons that you learn along the way is really, really great.
1: And how did that all come to an end then at the end of those nine years?
2: So we had an idea to try and turn the band into more of a, not a secular band, but like a, a mainstream band that would go and play like all the big festivals and all that, that, are, that aren't that are necessarily Christian festivals. And what we found, you know, we even wrote some songs in that direction, but what we found in that process was that it was literally impossible to try to <laughs> divorce, me especially, from the Christian message, like anytime you search anything to do with Chip K or Chip Kendall, whether you're on YouTube or whatever was the big stuff at the time. I can't remember. There were so many different social media platforms that my came space? out all at once. Do you remember my <laughs> space? There you go. And, uh, you know, anytime you search any of that or the band name or any history, it didn't take long before you have got the Gospel of Jesus popping up in your face. And and I don't look at that as necessarily a bad thing. You know, I think it's really, really great. It's almost like, you know, talk about wearing your faith on your sleeve. It's almost like I I was so intrinsically linked to the gospel of Jesus Christ that it was impossible to try to make this person into a mainstream act so that was one of the reasons there, there were a number of reasons why that was when we just decided to, uh, instead of letting the band fizzle out, we were going to go out with a bang we, we ramped everything up to like our, our final gig, which was awesome it was so much fun, we did that, and then at that concert, I was able to start selling the EP for my solo stuff as well, we, we did a, an EP called K is for Kendall, and loads of people got that, and then that just kind of board in. To, um, to what I'm doing now So it really was A really great thing We're all still friends You know We don't see each other As much Because a lot of us Have moved different parts Of the country But um, but some of the stuff That God formed there Is just You know It's it's lifelong stuff And somebody was talking About doing a reunion thing And I'm like Really? Did that happen? I don't know I don't know If anybody would Do be it Do it
1: <laughs> Your whole career If you want to call it that Your whole ministry I suppose is a much better word Your whole ministry Has been tied up With music And with young people Why do you think Music is such an important Way to connect Connect with young people.
2: Yeah, music's great. Every generation has its own style, its own flavor, its own take on music. And that's because, really, when you talk about music, you're talking about your soul, you know. You talk about your mind, soul, your emotions, your your spirit, soul, and body. You know, it's almost like it's in us as human beings to need music. Um, and that happens right from a very early age when you're a baby, right through to when you're a kid. You know, you learn stuff through song. And then as you get older, yeah, you think it's entertainment, but actually, if you're honest, you know, I, I went to this Lionel Richie concert. The guy's amazing. He's in his 60s, right? And yeah, in between each song, he's kind of like, you know, when you go through this stage of life, when you see somebody that you like and you're wondering if they like you back, what's the first song you think of? And he just goes Lionel Richie, and he starts playing <laughs> some really famous Lionel Richie song that is about that, you know, courting or whatever. And then he's like, and then you know, you decide you're gonna go all the way, you're gonna get married, you know, you're gonna build a family with this person. And then he's like, what's the first song you think of? Lionel Richie. He plays like another big Lionel Richie hit. I mean, like literally, that's what he does, song by song, hit by hit, all through the show. And by the end, you're left going, really, that's true music creates a soundtrack for your life. And so really, I think as Christians and as believers and and people who love Jesus, you know, the the biggest book of the Bible is a songbook, it's Psalms. And if that is an indication of of how we can communicate with God and hear from God, then I think it's a great one that we can be the ones who are creating the soundtrack for our planet right now and not just buying into what dreamers are out there and and what they've got to say. So I, I think it's hugely important, especially in terms of what I'm doing now with Young People.
1: Just drawing on that, why do you think it specifically resonates with young people?
2: So, for young people, that's where you're still figuring yourself out. I mean, when did you have yourself figured out? I mean, you might still not have yourself (laughs) figured out, but when, when you're going through that whole, especially the teenager experience, you know, for me, my first album was called Show Me Who I Am. That was the name of the album. That was my biggest prayer, that was my biggest thought, my biggest focus at the time was I want to know who I am. Why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, what's my identity? And so music really helps you, again, to give your soul some space to create, think, to reflect. So I'm really talking about like chilled out music, but even like hardcore music, it's kind of like what I'm drawn to that. What, why am I drawn to that? What, what kind of emotions does that bring up in me? And, and so I think music is really, really strong in terms of, of a tool for young people and, and, uh, and young songwriters as well, I think really carry something prophetic on them where, you know, they're able to release stuff, whether that's a melody or or even words and lyrics. That at the time, they just think, oh, this is what I'm thinking right now. But years later, they look back and go, oh, that actually put the finger on something that I'm still going through right now or I see going on. That's kind of part of the thread that runs through my life. And, and I just was able to articulate that really well as, as a teenager, as a kid. I see that happening quite a bit. So I think it's really useful both as a as a creative entity and also as as something to help us understand who we are and, and and what makes us tick.
1: And you've worked with young people now for years. Have you seen a big change in youth culture in the way that young people react to things?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I told you, didn't I? I was like a presenter for God TV. Yes. Yeah. This is around the time of the big social media just crazy. It's like when Facebook first came out. I mean, we're going way back now, but Facebook and Instagram and Twitter is like all that stuff was still quite new. I remember going to Soul Survivor to present for God TV and it's still being kind of like, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, oh, I'm on TV." Oh, it's a big deal, you know, so that like people are kind of like creeping past or, you know, maybe trying to pull one quick little photo bomb type moment hey i'm on tv you know and it was like a big deal and and we were happy to put up with it because it was a youth event and it was really cool well then like it was literally like night and day that was one year the following year everybody's like there's a camera there why is that camera there i'm going to try to take down anything that's going on it was it was almost like people saw us as like a threat the reason i say all of that is because i think there is there have definitely been shifts through different generations and and through different technological advances and things that cause young people to become uh, more defensive or to, you know, to put up more walls or to kind of retreat to Retreat away from what they see as normal. Like if you think about young people, no, nobody really wants to go along with a crowd. Everybody wants to think of themselves as unique, even though they don't realize there's about twenty thousand other people that are trying to be unique in the same way, and they're <laughs> actually buying into another big thing. But everybody, every I think that's an okay value to have—to want to retreat. But when technology and media and social things pop up so much to the point that young people re- retreat away and away and away, it it really becomes a question of trust. Like, how do you win a young person's trust? And not even just kind of like on a surface level trust, but like a really deep core trust. And that, that's that been something that I've seen happen, you know, in my generation. I've seen the shift happen, and, and it's still a big question that that I think needs answering. <laughs>
1: A lot of what you do is going around schools and helping to answer children's questions on, on all sorts yeah. of different topics. Do you find that the questions they're asking you now are the same questions that you were getting sort of 10, 15 years ago?
2: Some of them are the same, but a lot of them are different. I actually did a lot of little chat with um, Rachel Gardner about this as well, um, because it, that is a really, really great point. They are different questions. You know, I still go into high schools all the time. I've got like five different schools packages that I take into high schools, and that started off as one. One, I'll tell you the story. Is because when the band name finished, I was still getting invitations to go into high school and often whenever we go into school as a band the questions, we'd want the questions to be about our music and about being a band and all that and sometimes they'd have questions about that but really that was only one small pocket of all the kids that we were talking to. Most of the questions were all science related at the time and we were looking at each other kind of scratching our heads like well we're not scientists but we'll Mm -hmm. give you the best answer we can and I would always point people to the website which is testoffaith.com which is a really great resource for people who have big science and faith questions you know and then after the band name finished and i kept getting these invites to go back in i thought well you know they're not asking questions about music i still want to do music. But so let's go ahead and try to answer the questions that they're asking. And so I went to the people at TestOfFaith.com from that website. I was like, you know, can you give me a scientist to go in school with me? And I mean, within two weeks they had it all up and running. They were like, yeah, let's do this. We want to do this anyway. And so we were beginning to answer more of this of the sciencey type questions. And then we found that again there was a shift from there being so much many science questions to being kind of supernatural questions. People were really interested in the supernatural, and they were interested in uh, you know the whole Harry Potter thing was big at the time and and then they're interested in the afterlife and do you really believe that there's life after death and I'm like, these are really, really great big questions, you know, and let's really try to try to answer these questions. We've got five different options that we offer high schools now. And and yet there's still more questions that are coming out. And I think it's a real indication there are kind of we go around the mountain, don't we? That there are times where we come full circle and, uh, and I feel like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, these, these are deep fundamental questions that are always going to be asked. You know, obviously the big one, if God is real and if he is loving, then how can he allow bad people to exist? How can he allow tragedies to occur? You know, and those are really big questions and often we'll try to be a bit like Jesus and answer the question behind the question as well as the question that they're asking. Um, But really, I've learned that it's a journey that you go on, you know, questions and answers. And and maybe you want to give them the answer that you're wanting them to know, but they're not ready for that answer yet. You've got to go on that journey with them. You've got to answer that question and watch the realization happen in their eyes. And What about this over here? Ah, oh, that's a really great point. You know, and then you answer that one there. Well, what about this one over here? And you do get thrown some some curveballs now and then. But I just think that's where really you've got to have the Holy Spirit with you. It's really great to have a knowledge of the Bible. And to, uh, to remember that actually Jesus has given us an example of really great ways to respond to these things. You know, often Jesus was a, a very good Jewish rabbi. He would answer a question with a question. And I'm, I'm starting to get better at doing that, not in a patronizing way, but just in kind of like, is that really the question that you want to know? Because if that's the question, then what about this? And I think it's starting to make sense. I, I think that as the penny drops, there's one question leads to about a thousand other questions. And I know this is something you're passionate about too, Ruth. <laughs> (laughs) I just appreciate people like yourself who are like, hey, let's really go for the questions that the kids are asking, not try to give them the answers we think they want to know.
1: I've got to ask you, what, if you can remember, is the strangest question a kid has ever asked you?
2: I mean, we get odd ones, don't we, with, you know, where did you get your shoes from? (laughs) 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 Like, I was in the zone talking about life after death, and now you're asking me about my shoes. I think this this was a question that came up. I don't know how it came up, but I thought, you know what, this is actually a really really great question that i think people should ask more often and give an answer where they shoot from the hip but the question was who
1: is jesus to you yeah that okay, is a, now, that's now a gonna, gift to an evangelist isn't it
2: <laughs> and that's true actually on the one hand you think oh it's an evangelist oh great but then on the other hand i'm thinking no, no 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 they're real like this is somebody who's grown up like profiles on facebook and you know they've seen jesus slated in every which way you know Is it Simpsons Jesus? Is it, you know, is it Easter Jesus? Is it Christmas Jesus? (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's true, we do that as Christians. We kind of dress them up and paint them as all these different things. But actually, when it comes down to it, who is he? Who is he? Mm -hmm. And what's the first thing that comes up? What's the first five things that come up? I think you'd be able to tell from first five words that come up from when you say who is you you'd be able to tell where that person's at on their journey with God I think it's a really really great question
1: so that's you asking them the question
2: no that's them asking me
1: oh wow and
2: I was like wow that is genius because I can see like they superficial answers who's oh is he God or you know is he your best friend we've heard that already <laughs> no really who is who actually is he I guess <laughs> it's, a,
1: it's a way as well of removing all of those platitudes and those practiced answers that's what I love about questions exactly you, you get right to the heart of what people genuinely think
2: it strips away all of the pretense
1: and Chip you've mentioned some of the work that you do in schools how did you get involved in those schools to start with because I'm guessing we can't just waltz up to a school and say hey I've got this thing I want to come and talk about Jesus how can I do that
2: it all started for us when we sent that video off to the Worldwide Message Tribe there are Countless uh, organizations. There are whole movements that have been set up and started in order to help young Christians, especially get caught up in the kind of wave of passion for Jesus and for sharing his word. And, you know, there are loads. You know, you go to Big Church Day Out or you go to Soul Survivor or you go to any of these big gatherings. That's why they have like a whole massive space. Filled with all these different options, and sometimes on the one hand I can think, yeah, all these people are after you know young blood; they need to get new, new, um, new people, the right, the right skill set people involved in the ministry. But equally, I think it's a really great opportunity for young people to just stop and pray and think and say, God, when I read your word, when I talk to you and I hear your voice, and you know, when I encounter you, what is it? What's the justice issue that pops up the most? And that's probably a really good indication that God's fashioned you and He's designed you to, to move into that field. So I would I would really say just start with prayer. You know, we, we sent off that video. Now you've probably got whatever the modern equivalent of the tribe is coming to you and, and and emailing you, messaging you, you know, saying hey would you like to be part of this and uh, that's a really great way to get started.
1: And do you think it's important that we're going into schools and talking about these things because I guess that's probably where they're spending most of their time, right?
2: Yeah, I mean I've often said, you know, school's great because they're in learning mode already so, you know, often at a gig you've kind of got to get past the whole kind of hyper, I've just eaten enough sugar to last me all night and, and you've got to be able to, to speak through that whereas in school they are in learning mode. They're, they're like, you know, they've, they've just come from a geometry lesson and, uh, and you've got to have something A, that's really viable and worth hearing and B, something that's really engaging and something that, that they realize this is about more than just this next hour. This is about the rest of my life. <laughs> so, you know, school is a really great option and, and a, gr- a great way of doing that. It's a captive audience. I mean, prisons are the, are the most captive audience. That's a bad dad joke they anyway. make. But, you know, the fact <laughs> is you've, you've got ministry to places where there are people who are ready just to listen.
1: Do you find that the questions that you get asked in a... In a school setting where a lot of them are predominantly non-Christians versus the questions that you get in, say, a church setting where a lot of them are church kids, are they similar questions to each other or or do they look quite different?
2: Yeah, no, they are quite different, you know, and I think really the thing that makes different is the mix of God's Word. There's really the thing where people can assume that you're a Christian because you go to church. When I go into Christian events, again, you can really quickly tell the difference between people who are just there because it's like a community and it's a social thing, which I'm not knocking. I think that's important. There's a difference between kids that are just there because their friends are there and those who are really hungry for god and my eyes light up in both environments the one that they haven't even heard about jesus yet, or maybe they have but but it hasn't the light hasn't come on for them but equally the lights coming on for christians who kind of get it in terms of the bible and the difference that it can make in their life and, and that it does make i got to meet this really old bible translator guy um we were doing a school's week in Prince's Risborough, very posh. The place we were staying at was Wycliffe Bible Translators. Wycliffe Bible Translators. And I met this really old crusty Bible translator guy and I was like, can I ask you something? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And I said, what is the best translation of the Bible available for young people right now, you know, because I know there's loads of different translations. I'm, I'm up in front of young people a lot, and I want to make sure that I've got the most current, the most up-to-date, you know, version. And he just looks at me with this sparkle in his eye, and he's like, the best translation of the Bible has always been, and always will be, and I'm thinking he's going to say King James Version. <laughs> and that's just going on in my head, and he, he doesn't say that, he goes, best translation has always been, and always will be, a person. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And he goes, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I'm like, yeah, that was Jesus. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. You know, he he is the word of God made flesh. And then then I I was quite happy just to kind of leave that answer and and go on to the next question. But he looks at me and he's like, Chip, he points at me and he goes, you might be the only translation of the Bible that some of the kids you're up in front of will ever read. And then, uh, you know, as he says these words, they carry so much weight. And even now I kind of feel a tingling down my back because I'm, I'm like, wow, what a responsibility, right?
1: You are listening to The Profile on Premier Christian Radio, part two up next.
0: He reached over 2 billion people through rallies, books, TV and radio. He was the spiritual advisor to presidents and global leaders. His impact changed the course of Christianity in the UK and the world. And his message led millions to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Billy Graham was this generation's greatest evangelist. In a special free tribute edition of Premier Christianity magazine, read about his life and legacy with a unique range of archive photos spanning decades of ministry. Ask for our free Billy Graham tribute magazine at premierchristianity.com slash billygraham. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio.
1: Where faith comes to life. Welcome back to The Profile on Premier Christian Radio with me, Ruth Jackson. And now for the second part of my interview with Chip Kendall, a musician and part of the creative team at Audacious Church Manchester. This is not a small question by any stretch of the imagination. But <laughs> sure. how are some of the ways that we can reach the millions of young people out there who know nothing about God?
2: There have been all these studies that have been done recently haven't there about how young people now like really not likely to, to even step into a church building. And um, I think really what that means is creating ways that we can take church to them. I mean, I've always been passionate about outreach, and that's one of the, the roles and the things that I'm really pushing for at my own church is this idea of, of doing outreach uh, in a really real, tangible way. We're doing something amazing, right? And it, I don't know how much of this I'm allowed to say, but um, it's on the record. But <laughs> we're basically doing church on tour. We're doing pop-up church. We're going we're gonna to find spaces which are easily accessible by everybody to come into and uh, and do what we do in church and, and say we're going to we're gonna take the lamp and we're going to put it on a lampstand. We're going to gonna put it out there. And I think that's really great because that shows not just individual lights popping up, but together communities of lights, you know, all of us shining together. And the Bible even says, you know, Jesus taught us, He says the way that they'll know you're my disciples is, is from your love for each other. and So I, I think if we're able to model that and to show that, in our everyday lives, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman, artist that I love, he did a whole song about living out loud and, and making sure that, that your life speaks volumes. You know, I know um Andy Hawthorne has a go at a really big Saint Augustine guy, you know, who said preach the gospel at all times and where necessary St. Use, St. Of
1: use words. St. Francis.
2: Saint Francis, sorry, there you go. One, I knew it was one of one of those old guys. <laughs> and um <laughs> you know, where what is he says where necessary use words. But Andy Hawthorne says Wherever possible, use words. Like, you know, words are the way we communicate. And, you know, whether that's on social media, which is a really great outreach thing for any Christian ever, you know. No, and you don't have to be cheesy about it either. There's, like, some really, really great stuff out there to help you be able to share your faith and your, your story and your testimony and, and the praise reports of what God's done for you and, you know, to talk about Jesus like He is your best friend because He is your best friend. And, you know, there's loads of opportunities there to, to communicate and to be yourself and to be Jesus and be the word where you are just on social media. I think, you know, if you're a creative person, and it's not rocket science, is it? But, you know, to to take your creativity and go, you know, how can I build God's kingdom with my art? That's a great question. How can I be Jesus with my art? How can I represent who he is? And, and I, I'm not saying that we all have to get this messianic complex, you know, where we're like, I am the Messiah to my friends. What, what I'm saying is that they can they can see that you're broken already. They know who you are. But make sure that you are finding every opportunity to let that light shine and, and just to, to allow God's word to not just illuminate yourself, but let that overflow spill out in the way you live your life and, and what other people see. You know, I've been guilty of this before, you know, People in Israel, growing up in Israel, we have this thing called um, Jerusalem Syndrome. Have you ever heard of this?
1: No. I'm intrigued.
2: <laughs> so Jerusalem Syndrome is where you spend a bit of time in the Holy Land and all of a sudden you figure out in your head, you're like, I am Elijah. <laughs> I am a prophet of old, you know, having come back. And, and I have the spirit of Elijah. I, mean, I don't want to knock that out. There's a, song, a really great song about these are the days of Elijah. But what I'm saying is that it's easy to develop this complex of like, I am God's gift to the world. in in a a bad way. But at the same time, it's actually true. You are God's gift to the world. You are God's gift to your friends who don't know Him yet because you could be the bridge by which they get to know Him. And and it's not going around with this kind of holier-than-thou attitude. It's just going around knowing, yeah, I'm broken, but at the same time, I carry something precious. I am a jar of clay with a treasure inside that is so valuable. How can I possibly keep this to myself?
1: And you talk about taking church on tour and going to where people are. Where are young people nowadays?
2: Loads of young people online. Again, I don't remember the stats. You probably know this better than I do, Ruth. But, you know, the percentage of time that young people spend online, connecting with their social groups that way. Obviously, kids are at school. Kids are... are in uh, organizations and, and clubs and things that are specifically targeted for them. I think more than ever, kids are, like I said before, they're kind of retreating into themselves a bit more, where it's kind of like, you know, all these defenses are up. Kids are at home, a lot of them in broken homes as well.
1: Do you think family ministry is an important part of that? So not just trying to reach and disciple and share the gospel with children and young people, but working in a more holistic sense where you're engaging the entire family?
2: Yeah, and... And and getting on to some of the stuff that we've done in terms of, of the music at Audacious, specifically targeted at families and families of primary school kids, I would say that is definitely the case. We are trying to disciple and encourage and equip and resource parents to be able to make the experience of encountering God totally normal at home like as great or even better than what they experience at church because it's their family. As a dad myself, I literally think of this where I've got to answer for the fact that my kids are growing up in my house. Am I creating a house of peace? Am I creating an atmosphere conducive to God's presence? Am I showing a desire for them to encounter God? Am, am, Am I hungry for that? Have I got an appetite for God's holiness, for the altar, you know, for all of that? more so at home as much as as what I have at church Or, or am I just compartmentalizing and going home is where we kind of regroup, feed ourselves, sleep, get rest, and then go out into the wide world where sometimes we go out to church and sometimes we go out to school, sometimes we go out to work. Or is home like the starting place? for my understanding of the Father heart of God, my understanding for the fact that God is passionate about broken people, that God cares for us, the fact that God is where we turn to for forgiveness from these feelings of guilt and shame. And I wouldn't call myself very pastoral in that sense, but at the same time, I am a dad, and and I have to look after that. So as a musician, what I'm realizing is that we can stop everything at any moment and throw a family praise party. We could do that, you know. We could put on some great music. We could get we've got these little instruments that you can get out, and 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 my kids love to dance. They love to move. They love to jump up and down. And and I understand that some families they try to stay a bit more quiet at home, and that's fine. We. We are writing quiet songs as well, but you know, but equally when your kids get to a certain age, they got to make some noise. They got to shake some stuff up, you know? And so I, I want to be a, a fun dad and that I can welcome that and not even just welcome it, but encourage it and even initiate it and start it and be like, Hey guys, you know, like a big fight's breaking out here, sofa time, they jump everybody on the sofa. Hey, you remember, this is a house of peace and because it's a house of peace, we're not really going to tolerate like fighting like this. So." Let's put all that energy into something else. <laughs> and uh, and we, we can throw a really great, adventurous, crazy party. We can go on a little journey together. So it's just the beginning. I literally feel like we're just scratching the surface, the tip of the iceberg. We've got three albums of, of kids' songs with the testimonies that have come in from all over the place. People saying, whenever we put this song on, on in the car on the way to school, it's like nobody fights. <laughs> they're like, everybody's singing along they're learning the Bible verses. We've got one song, it's all the books of the Bible set to a rap. And, and so the kids are actually learning books of the Bible, you know, whole Bible verses. One mother just told me last Sunday, she says, you know, my son was singing one of your songs at school and the teacher said, to me, his mom, what, what's his song he's singing? She's like, oh, it's from our church kids' album. And the teacher said to the mom, bring that CD in and we'll play it in the background when the kids are doing math. That. And that's <laughs> what they've started to do because it helps the kids like to learn better. And again, all it is is we're just trying to create vehicles that can carry God's presence, that, that can really help people to engage as a family with God. Do
1: you find that the way that you have engaged with children and young people has changed since you've had your own children?
2: Totally. When... I was single, and when I was married, I just found that somewhere in the back of my mind, I genuinely cared more about who or what am I following. I guess it makes more sense now in the social media savvy world where people know to follow somebody on Facebook. But at the time, it just was like, what am I following? What's the next big trend? What, you know? Who do I want to be like? What's going on that I want to make sure that I'm part of? I don't want to miss the boat on this. And that's understandable. Like That makes sense. That is what you're focused on at the time. But literally, the minute, the second we had our first kid, we got three now, it was like this shift happened in my thinking and in my heart where the focus wasn't so much who or what am I following, but who or what am I modeling? It was really that clear. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. All of a sudden, I'm responsible for everything that goes on for this little baby. You know, eventually this little toddler, this little primary school kid, this, we haven't gotten to high school yet, but we're getting that way. And, and when when that's on you, and not in a, a heavy burden type of way, but in, in a kind of like, This is incredible. I have this amazing opportunity
1: to help
2: to shape and to form what goes on in and around and through this little person. That you do start to question, what am I modeling for them? What what does it look like for them? What's the environment? What do they hear? What do they sense? What do they feel? So for me, that was such a huge shift. And I think your question was about going to having kids. That is where all of these kids songs came from. You know, I remember being at the front of church, and I wasn't at the front as in leading, but I was just I was stood in the front row, and someone else was leading worship. Had my hands in the air, my eyes were closed, having the most amazing encounter with God, just kind of like enjoying him as, as. as you do as you're supposed to do in God's presence and God really challenged me you know I just released my first solo album after the band on the name um, it's called Holy Freaks, and we thought it was going to take two years to pay it off. We invested it in a way that, that we could spend the next two years paying it off. You know what? We had it paid off in two months, and I was like praising Jesus, and I was so excited, and I was like, God, thank you. Like That's such a miracle that, you, that you're you able to do that. And right then and there, in that moment, God reminded me, you know, you've got kids workers in your church who are asking for songs. You've got pastors who are, who are wanting you to write about the topics that they're talking about in a way that the kids and the young people can understand. Would you be willing to invest your own money into making demos (laughs) for your church to be able to to do this to to have these songs and in the process of doing that not just writing songs for your kids not even necessarily just songs for the kids in your church but for the kids of the world you know like michael jackson for the children of the world (laughs) and uh and in that moment, I felt like David, who had built his own palace, and it was this amazing place, when God's house was still in a tent. And he comes to God and he's like, God, this is not right. Please do something about this. I can't let you just live in a tent while I'm living in this amazing palace. And that's where God began to birth in him the idea, you know, of a temple. And and it wouldn't be him that would build it because his hands were stained with blood, but it would be his kids that would build it. And all of that happened literally in a split second that I had all of that understanding and that feeling. Do You know, that's what led to me and my wife personally putting money into making four demos we went to the same producers that made my album to make these demos which then eventually became a kids album which eventually became three kids albums which eventually became running the big Thursday Out 10 for the kids and the families and all that which eventually became the praise ship Orbitron That's
1: a great opportunity to talk about some of the things you're doing Did you find that the shift from young people which was more kind of teenagers in high school shifting to primary school was that did that happen after you had your own children?
2: So for me it was probably more of it was a perceived to Threat, you know that whole thing about perceived threat versus actual threat. Like I thought, have I got to completely lay down my ministry to teenagers in order to just jump on board the whole kind of kids thing and be like the next Salty the singing songbook? You know, and I was really concerned about it. It was a bit of a worry for me to, you know, do I even get involved in this at all? Until I started to chat to a few people about it, and they were like, "You can do both." (laughs) They're like, there's one guy was like, Chip. The amazing thing about you is that you can stick it to the world." and you can stick it to the church. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> some people can do some people can do one or the other. And he goes, I would go as far as to say, you need to carry on doing both. So for me, it definitely was a shift. I guess you could call it that, but I don't feel like I've shifted any more weight from what I was already doing. So having having kids, okay, it's like a tree. If you've got good enough roots and that trunk is there, imagine that you're the trunk, you just grow more branches on the tree. That's all you're doing. And then what happens is your, your branches then sprout branches, don't they? And, you know, I tell people we ask God to open doors for us. Well, what do you do when God starts opening up whole corridors of doors? We ask for oak trees, and God gives us Acorns. The question is, are we gonna plant that acorn and watch it grow into an oak tree? Our pastor one of our pastors audacious amazing, really, really cool guy, Mark Foster. He holds up this apple and he goes, What do you see in my hand? Everybody goes, An apple. And he goes, I don't see an apple, I see endless apples <laughs> he goes i see the potential for billions and trillions and ongoing and an infinity number of apples in this apple He's like all i gotta do is i gotta kill the apple I gotta, I gotta put it in the ground those seeds are you know you know the whole analogy of a seed that grows and produces loads of different things it's all about perspective it's all about the way that you look at it and that's what starts to happen i think when you have kids and also when you start to minister to families, you go, wow, this is an incredible way for these words, which is God's words." to actually live on not just past my lifetime but right to the end this is this is gonna go far and that's really what it's about it's about not even so much sustainability but longevity sustainability is like how do we keep this thing going I'm like you no know, it's gonna carry on anyway let's just go long let's go for longevity you know it's like a really good stage dive have you ever done a stage dive before <laughs> no
1: but you are quite exceptional at stage dives aren't you chip I feel like that's a bit of a hidden oh, love- talent that people need to know about <laughs>
2: The thing about a good stage dive is you got to think long. You've got to jump as far out. You can't just fumble into people's arms. You've got to jump to like the fifth row. You've got you to gotta aim for the back of the hall in order to get to the fifth row. You you know, you've really got to go long. And that's what I see happening to all this family ministry
1: stuff. And do you see youth and children's work as two separate entities? Do you think they need to be kept separate because they're very different? Or do you think there are things that we can be learning from each other, from the different communities?
2: I am glad you asked that because I really really like this move that you guys have done. And I'm sure there's probably lots of reasons why you went from having Youth Work Magazine and Children's Work Magazine to having both Youth and Children's Work Magazine. Y, C, W. Exactly
1: right. Um,
2: YCW. <laughs> YCW. And I'll tell you why I'm really glad that that happened. I think there are things that both can learn from each other. And I think that more and more now, kids... I think you guys even said this when you first made the shift. Kids are basically youth. <laughs> they are the youth that the youth generation's parents imagined the youth wouldn't be until they were teenagers. That's a bit convoluted. But by that, what I mean is they, they can both benefit from each other. What you guys are doing is is you're applying the right voices to speak into both spheres. You could go one extreme or the other, but you're finding those things that benefit both and you're giving them a platform. And I think that's really, really great. And I would say that is definitely what needs to happen right across the board. I think going to our you know, our church situation, uh, we have kids who are younger and we have youth who are older. But in that transition period, in that process, both benefit from both. I think it's a really great starting place. Yeah, definitely there's room to be developed for something that's just youth-focused and something that's just kids-focused. I think what we're doing right now, we're, we're saying family-focused. Um, Even at Big Church Day Out, they can't just drop the kids off and then go and enjoy whatever the big band is that's on the main stage. We want the parents to stay with the kids during that hour that the praise party is happening so that we're doing two things. We're helping them to engage together as a family and we're modeling something that they can take home and that they can do at home. I don't know if I've just rambled on about nothing, but (laughs) I really like what you guys have done because I do think that they are mutually effective together.
1: And I guess there's a lot of stuff that was affecting children just teenagers sort of 10 15 even probably five years ago that is now affecting eight nine ten year olds so you've talked about exactly. social media but then there's all sorts of other things and i guess we need to be talking to each other don't we because i think quite often what we find is people will do children's work and then when they jump into the youth group it's an entirely different community and it's like a yeah. baptism of fire a lot of the time
2: it really is
1: tell us a bit about orbitron and the stuff that you're doing with big church day out
2: yeah i'm really passionate about Tip kindle and the praise ship orbitron what we've got in orbitron is we've really got a vehicle for helping churches and kids teams and families to understand the value of time spent together as a family and quality worship encounter moment that you can create not just at church, but also at home. And so what we've done is we've basically created a family praise party package that any church anywhere can book. To, to come to their church and it's kind of a space theme so I get in touch with them about a month in advance and we find out if their kids workers have any kind of skills at all in terms of actions and waving their hands and joining in with the dance moves. And if they do, then we ask them to just go all out, like flashy shoes that light up and space themed costume and hair and makeup and glow in the dark, everything. And then what happens is by virtue of that happening is that everybody wants in on the action. So everybody comes in fancy dress, including the kids and the parents. And uh, we, we put on a really great show, which isn't just kind of a flashy entertainment thing, but it, it's utilizing the song, the Audacious Church back catalog of, uh, of three kids albums, and, and these are all, as we said before, they, they really are kind of vehicles for, for God's presence and helping people connect as a family. So we the show kind of pulls together some of the songs, and also there's like a message that goes through it as well. It can it can be as evangelistic or, or as kind of church-focused as you want it to be. We, we talk to them ahead of time to figure out which direction they want to go in with it. And then we bring the show to them. We tell them all about the free resources that are available to them afterwards as well. If churches want to club together to put on an event as well, we encourage that to and, and we're just seeing loads of really great stuff happen through Chip Kendall and the praise ship Orbitron. Orbitron is this kind of uh, made-up spaceship we, we call it a praise ship because it's fueled by our praise and our excitement. So for a lot of kids and, and for families, it's almost like a way of explaining for the first time what it means to, to lift your hands and worship. Why do we do that or, or why do we declare these words from the Bible. Why is that so important? Well, you know, Why why do we sing about God's goodness? What what does that do for us? And so we're really helping to give them a bit of a definition of what praise is, while at the same time modeling it for them. Uh, and just having a really, really fun time. We've got a really great show right now. We've got a, a professional actor, and we've got a professional singer as well that comes on the road with me, and really great multimedia stuff that, that we engage with. And we, we would just love to see as many churches engaging with this as possible
1: and you grew up as a christian and i'm sure your journey has not been entirely straightforward i'm sure there's been highs and lows but if you could go back to say your 15 year old self kind of knowing everything you know now having experienced all the highs and lows is there one piece of advice that you would give your 15 year old self
2: well when i was 15 that was right before i made my first album i was growing up in israel i'd had i got some friends by then i was really cultivating that passion for god's word i was probably like Halfway through reading the whole Bible, I would definitely encourage myself to take some stocks and apple. <laughs> I would probably encourage the side of me that would one day be responsible for leading others i didn't really begin to learn leadership capacity until a little bit later in life so yeah i'd probably do something really cool with leadership i'd be like you know hey who are your friends right now what can you do together that you wouldn't have been able to do on your own ask those kind of questions and and get myself thinking about all that do
1: you think there's anything that the youth community the youth work community can learn from children's work and then vice versa are there things that children's workers can learn from youth workers
2: Absolutely. I think the thing that youth workers can learn from children's workers is what can I bring to the forefront that will draw something out of my young people. I think as youth workers, sometimes it becomes more about entertaining and retaining mm-hmm. kids coming along. There's a little bit of outreach involved, which is great. I think that's really important, but I think for the most part, they're they're thinking, you know, how can I make sure that these guys are, are going to be excited about coming back? whereas for kids workers, there's really much more of a focus on, this my, my perception anyway, on what can I draw out of these young people that is going to benefit not just themselves but all the people that are around. The thing that kids workers can benefit from youth workers, I would say just really keeping them at the top of their game in terms of their edge. They're cutting edge. It's really easy just to kind of go along and, and go, oh, well, you know, it's, it's an easy audience. I know when it comes to writing songs for kids, it's easy for songwriters to come and kind of go, oh, I've got an idea for a kid's song. And it's, The reason they, they said it was a kid's song is because it's just kind of basic and, mm-hmm. and dull and, and, and really repetitive or something. I don't know. How are we going to keep that cutting edge? Same way, I know that you wrote this other song. How can you bring an element of that? Maybe it's in the production value or in the um, the attitude that you bring to it. Because kids, little kids, are actually really perceptive of things like that. They're really perceptive of, of what um, our pastor calls the it factor. You know, that buzz. What is that buzz around? Which is why kids start to get interested in stuff they know they shouldn't be interested in. So I I think kids workers could learn that from youth workers. Uh, you know, how do we get that buzz, that it factor back into um, back into kids? Ministry.
1: That's a brilliant point because we do spend a lot of time trying to, well, I think we're trying to simplify things, but often we end up dumbing it down when we're talking to children, don't exactly. we? Exactly.
2: And there's a yeah. there's
1: a brilliant quote that it's something like, the gospel should be simple enough for a child to understand, but deep enough that a theologian can spend their whole life pondering it. And I think so often we leave it as simple enough to understand. And then our young people wow. walk away and, and we wonder why they've walked away. And actually we have just yes. done them a huge disservice.
2: Brilliant, Ruth. That's re- you need to write a whole book just on that one concept. <laughs>
1: well, on that note, Chip, it's been so great talking to you. If yeah. we want to know more about you, more about what you're up to, more about Audacious, more about your music, where shall we go?
2: Yeah, well, there's a couple of websites. One is audaciouschurch.com slash Loads of free resources there online. Uh, the songs themselves, the lyric videos, the actions, tutorials, you know, backing tracks, whatever people want, that's, that's on there. If you want to find out more about what I'm doing, then it's just chipkendall.com. And Kendall has two L's.
1: Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Chip.
2: Thanks, Ruth.
1: Love it. You have been listening to The Profile interview with me, Ruth Jackson. The Profile is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine. To order a free copy of the magazine, visit premierchristianity.com slash free copy. Coming up next on Premier Christian Radio, Premier Playback.